0: Welcome to access to justice I'm your host Heather Mallorick of Merrick Law my co-host is Evan Clark of Cahane Law Hi Evan how are you doing
1: I'm well Heather thanks how are you
0: I am not too bad thank you uh, we are joined today as always but with a by our uh, very special co-host. Our sorry, our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim's a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Ltd. We're a Canadian podcast with a mission to educate Canadians about the law. We interview experts in law, mental health, and finance, focusing on topics that create the greatest barriers to entry into the justice system. You can find us on YouTube, on our A2J podcast channel, and online at a2jpodcast.com. So today's guest, I'm very excited to introduce Chris Stolfa, who is joining us remotely via Zoom from beautiful Jasper, Alberta. Although actually, I guess I'm making an assumption that that's where you are today, Chris. (laughs) Um, Chris has been a lawyer for 14 years, I think that's right, and is a partner at McClellan Stolfa Reed um, with offices in Jasper, Hinton, and Edson. And he's here to talk to us today about uh, access to justice in rural communities and smaller communities. So welcome, Chris. Hi. Hello. Good to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good. Good. Um, did I miss anything in in my introduction? Uh, no, that
2: that's who I am.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, as you say, mm-hmm. I've
2: been a lawyer for 14 years. I've always practiced in a rural community i've never practiced in the city so i was in uh, cold lake alberta for uh, about six years till 2012 and uh, then moved to jasper at that point and uh, currently i'm practicing and living in jasper but as you mentioned also have offices outside of jasper so my i've done a, a variety of, of work over the years that when you're in a small town Uh, You tend not to specialize as much as you do in the city, but over time, my practice has uh, um, distilled down to uh, mostly court work, so family law and uh, civil litigation. Family law is about 60% of of what I do, Uh, civil litigation is about 30% of what I do, and uh, there's about 10% of just miscellaneous doing wills for people, the odd real estate deal, stuff like that
0: okay um where to start there's a lot of uh interesting questions Kim you look like you want to ask a question I can tell
3: <laughs> well I I know somehow Heather and Chris know each other from the past and I'm just dying to know how you guys met each other was Heather hiking on a mountain and Chris was uh you know had a legal booth set up like where where Oh,
1: he went skiing by as she was hiking up.
3: <laughs> Where do you guys know each other from?
2: It's not that exciting. We uh, went to law school together.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We had a little uh, friend group and we all hung out together and have uh, stayed friends. So, Yeah. Although, you know, we did, we were hiking together a a couple of times this summer, you could have found us on the side of a mountain uh, a few times with our families this past summer. So So
1: Chris, you started out in Cold Lake. Why Cold Lake of all places? Do you have a military
2: connection? No. Um, When I graduated from law school, I knew I wanted to get out of Edmonton and didn't want to go to Calgary. So I was interested in in looking at smaller centers. And so from there, um, going back a ways, I I think I blanketed the northern part of the province with uh, resumes and letters and started talking to uh, lawyers in Cold Lake. And that's where I I ended up. Um, I had a great experience in Cold Lake uh, that the firm I was with was was top-notch, and I ended up getting a fantastic breadth of experience there. Uh, I love the mountains. I love skiing. I love hiking. I love camping. So the plan was always to get closer to the mountains eventually, and the stars aligned at last, and here I am.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So how did you end up in um, Jasper instead of Banff? I think people... When they think mountains and skiing, they definitely, uh, I think Banff tends to be where they go first. Jasper is kind of like uh, an afterthought, maybe a a hidden gem. But why did you end up in Jasper instead of Banff?
2: Well, my in-laws live in Spruce Grove, and my wife said, I don't want to drive from Banff to Spruce Grove to visit my parents. And so here I am in, in Jasper. And um, that was the big consideration at that point. But uh, Jasper is sort of a, a slower, more relaxed version of Banff. So I am quite happy that it turned out this way that it's a little less busy and uh, a little bit more relaxed, not as many crowds. So I've been quite happy.
0: Mm-hmm. I like hidden gem. I think Jasper really is a a quiet hidden gem of the Rockies. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. I I was just looking up the difference in drive time. It is a little shorter by about 40 minutes to go from Jasper to Spruce Grove. So it checks out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to go down highway two.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a good point. It's funny because highway two for those who don't know I think most of our audience will be Alberta but it's straight it's a wide straight highway but people die on that straight highway every year it's kind of mind-blowing I'm from BC so you tend to think straight is safer we got lots of curves over there but yeah the Um, curves
0: keep you awake exactly
1: that's right yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so I countries. actually, I articled in Onaway. I don't know if you know where that is.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, that, so I, uh, I started, I was a summer student there and then I articled there and I worked there for uh, a year or two. So I started off in the, rural, in the rural practice. So I'm not surprised you got a really good breadth up in Cold Lake. Um, what is a small town lawyer like as far as services that generally those small town firms uh, cover?
2: Yeah. So you tend to get everything you get in the city, just in a, a condensed version of it, that people commit crimes, people get divorced, people buy houses, people die and need their estates probated. So everything that happens in the city happens in rural areas and lawyers are, are needed for that. So you tend to get a lot of the same stuff, but what happens is because there's a lot fewer lawyers is it's more difficult to specialize that in the city you'll have lawyers with very specific practices, you know, even within an area like criminal law you'll have lawyers that specialize in impaired driving specialize in, in murder. Uh, in family law same thing, you know, some will specialize just in child protection, so you end up having to do uh, a wider variety of, of work for people and uh, you. Tend to get um, a lot of problem solving stuff that people will come in, this is the problem. Sometimes they won't even know if it's a legal problem or not, or if it's another kind of problem. And really, you're looking at it and saying, well, you know, is there something I can do using the legal skills that I've got? Uh, Or should I be referring you to a social worker or, uh, you know, a a government service or, or something else?
1: So um, no, no criminal law at, uh, have you ever done any criminal law, like up back when you were in Cold Lake?
2: I did a little bit when I started out. And it's a, it's a fascinating area of law from a distance that, you know, the legal issues are, are fun and fascinating. But I didn't really enjoy being in the thick of it. Mm.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who's a Crown prosecutor, and he tells me that, If he screws up everybody's happy (laughs) so it's being on the other side where you know you you have somebody's freedom at stake that you're helping out with where uh people you know a little more pressure so i can i can understand that um can you talk a little bit to the name of our podcast access to justice and would you say that there's an access to justice problem or challenge for rural Alberta.
2: Yeah, sort of the the first thing is, you know, rural Alberta, it's easy to say rural Alberta. And if you live in the city, assume that that's everything outside the city, and that it's all sort of one homogenous sameness outside of the city. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's very, very different from community to community, uh, depending how far you are away from from major centres, or even just you know, one small town half an hour away from another one might have very different services from from the other small town. And then, you know, there's people who are living in between the towns. So by saying rural Alberta, you get a pretty wide hodgepodge of stuff, but I'll, I'll you know, generalize that there's generally fewer services available. There's generally much fewer lawyers per capita um, that are available that, you know, in the city, you you have ratios like a lawyer for every three or 400 people uh, in rural areas. It's, you know, one lawyer for every thousand, 2000 uh, people or, or more. So it, there's just generally a lot fewer lawyers to go around uh, when it comes to, to services. is you know, once again, it's a, a hodgepodge uh, that different towns will offer very different services. So, uh, you know, I do a, a, large amount of of family law and uh, in in alberta you get uh fcss family services in, in different towns and the uh sort of quality and and amount of services or what they offer can change pretty drastically from from town to town that in one place it can be very good Uh, and in another place it can be non-existent so uh, generally there's less but that being said there's also in rural areas you'll find uh, people have the ability to be a little bit more creative in how services are offered than they are in the city so sometimes uh, you'll end up getting very interesting funding models where people can cobble together a bunch of services under one roof that in the city you'd find in five different lo- locations. So, you know, you might be able to get parenting courses and addiction services at the same place, whereas in the city, you might have to go one place for those and uh, another place for, for uh, another issue.
1: So, as COVID has hit and everyone's flocked to Zoom, have you found that impact? Uh, impacting your practice at all?
2: Yep. It's made a a huge difference. Uh, The biggest one is probably access to the courts that the courts, um, you know, it's been a good kick in the butt to get the court system into the Mm -hmm. current century and uh, it it lagged behind for a really long time. Uh, But that being said, the court system and especially the rural judges have really latched on to Uh, Webex is the the program that they use uh, that means that I rarely travel for court anymore. I rarely have to charge clients for travel time anymore. So that's helped make me more affordable. Um, So that's been a a huge help. The other area too is that people have, have just sort of expected that you can access services remotely, whereas before there was sort of a I don't know if it was a stigma or, or yeah. a reluctance to, to do so. So it, it also does make it easier for people in rural areas to have a relationship with a lawyer in the city that they get to see them face-to-face uh, over the screen. Uh, payments, for us at least, have largely moved to e-transfer. So, you know, you don't have to go in with a credit card or uh, a debit card to, uh, to pay. The province has... And I suspect it's like this across Canada, has you know made a lot of changes to allow people to sign things remotely by Zoom where the, the lawyer watches them sign it so they don't physically have to be in the, the lawyer's office. So that's made a, a huge difference. I know counseling you know is is available a lot more over the phone. Um, mediation is another area that there are not a lot of mediators in in this area in particular. Um, and so people were, were generally, um, stuck having to travel to Edmonton to, to be able to go to a mediation, you know, as you guys would know, Alberta's got the program where, where the government will provide a mediator for people who earn less than $40,000 a year, you know, for a while, most of those mediators were very reluctant to do things by Zoom, um. Or by telephone now they're much more willing to do it and uh, that's helped that's helped a lot
1: yeah i'm glad to hear that i know i know when i was in onaway like not maybe not as i don't know how far you'd have to i mean to get to queen's bench i don't know what your closest queen's bench court is but
2: there's a sitting there's an edmonton sitting point in hinton okay so it wasn't too bad um uh, but if you wanted to do anything beyond a 20 minute appearance, you are having to go to Edmonton.
1: Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause what are they going to pay you? Like three, four hours one
2: way. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So a lot of the time, you know, it depends on the client. They end up uh, uh, frequently, you know, you'd have to reduce the travel to make it affordable or try and stack up, you know, wait till you can stack up a meeting with, somebody in Edmonton or an appointment in Edmonton with a a court appearance. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a huge benefit that the courts moving to video conference has been for, for rural clients for sure. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Kim, I cut you off there.
3: I had a, Education interjection. So uh, I know Chris had mentioned rural judges and for a non-lawyer, we, you know, we wouldn't think about this. We wouldn't think about judges being available in different you know, towns and cities. And you know, I, I, I'm kind of curious to know more about how big of a problem it is for people in rural communities having to travel to get access to a judge.
2: Yeah, so it depends what level of court you're at. And so uh, the province is fairly good with having provincial courts throughout the the province. Uh, The big thing for for divorce is you can't, or for family laws, you can't process your divorce through provincial court. So you are stuck with going to the city if you've got a a divorce. Sometimes you can deal with a few small items in provincial court and then go to the city to, to finalize it. Uh, so that is a, an issue. Provincial court for for civil problems. So small claims court is you can deal with problems up to fifty thousand dollars in in provincial court. But if your dispute is is above that, then once again you're looking at going to the city uh, to Edmonton from here. But uh, you know there's other centers around the province to deal with with disputes that are over fifty thousand dollars. So uh, the, the rural courts are, the provincial courts are, are um, once again, very different from area to area that you'll have different ones are busier than others. Uh, generally, I think um, sometimes you can actually get things in front of a judge a lot quicker in rural areas, but it's very uneven and can change from, from month to month, depending what's going on. Uh, You also tend to have fewer court sittings because there's fewer people, so uh, family court and and small claims court sit once a month in in most rural towns, Uh, sometimes it's twice a month, so uh, that means if you've got a problem, you've got to wait at least three weeks to, to get in front of the court, and then if the matter needs to be adjourned, you're looking at adjourning it in one month increments. So that can create problems. That being said, sometimes the judges are are very accommodating uh, in terms of when they see there's something that needs to be dealt with quickly, they've got a lot more, um, generally a lot more flexibility and control over what happens in their courthouse and can sometimes get things in much quicker than you would be able to in Edmonton where They've got to follow a lot more procedures, and and there's not really much room to to shoehorn something in uh-huh. that, that needs to be stuck in, in quicker. So, uh, yeah, you it's uh, it's a mixed bag.
3: I have I'm have another question about. Sorry, Heather, I interrupted you. I know you're going to say something, but it's. This is like a non-lawyer thing again. So we know that there's like good judges and maybe judges that are a little bit more prickly or difficult. If you get a prickly difficult one in a rural place, are they there forever and you just have to deal with it? Do they cycle out?
2: Yeah, so they do do rotate the rural judges around. So uh, you tend to get... So we've got a, a judge who lives in Hinton. And so, I probably appear in front of him about sixty percent of the time, and then forty percent of the time, there's a pool of judges that that wander around the, the rural part of the province. And you know, he the judge that lives in Hinton gets sent to other rural parts of the province. So, um, having you know, it, it's a it's a mix. Blessing having the same judge that the judge sometimes is able to get to know particular problems or particular people, and can't just sort of you know slough it off on the next judge down the road that uh, you know they've um, got to deal with it. And, and not
1: that there's any judges in Edmonton that would ever do <laughs> such a thing.
2: Uh, yeah, and will sometimes be a little bit more invested in in clearing out difficult cases. Then, then, you might see otherwise. Um, but you know, if if you have a client who doesn't like the judge, that sometimes they're just they're just stuck with it. That there's not much that can be done about it.
0: Mm. That's interesting because sometimes clients ask me that. They say, "Well, are we going to have that next judge next time?" Right? And you can't. I mean, I know you probably can't guarantee that either. But there might be some benefit to having some continuity to be appearing for a second time before someone who kind of knows what's come before them and without having to go through everything again.
2: Yeah Uh, the flip side of it too is you do end up in situations where the judge has to say I can't deal with this matter because I've you know, dealt with this person in a business context before, or I know their family, or mm-hmm. you know, there's some reason why I'm too close to this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that does come up from time to time, but uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: mostly it's not a, a big issue. That uh,
0: makes me think of a question that I have: Is um, do you get? conflicted out of matters very often. So uh, for our listeners in non-legal speak, a lawyer can't act, act for both sides of a legal problem. So um, that means that, you know, you're going to need two lawyers in most contested kind of things or where there's an argument about things. So do you find that because there's a smaller pool of lawyers that you have to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't take your your case um, maybe more often than you'd like to, or does that present a challenge for people looking for a lawyer?
2: Yeah, that definitely presents a challenge for people looking for a lawyer. Um, so, it, you know, in terms of the lawyers, let use family law as an example. Mm-hmm. I'm the only lawyer in Jasper practicing in family law right now. Uh, there's two in Hinton. One works with me in my firm, so I can't act against that, that lawyer. Right. Is, no lawyers in Edson practicing family law right now. And then you're looking at uh, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, Edmonton at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it can definitely be an issue. And that's where the, uh, you know, what I was talking about earlier with Zoom being used much more often is is quite helpful for people looking to get a lawyer who's potentially further away.
3: that's
0: mm-hmm. okay. okay.
1: I think I'm hoping that we'll see that paradigm shift more and more to the point where um, people care less about where their lawyer is located and more about finding the right fit for them to that. end, Chris, I mean, there's no reason you can't represent clients in Edmonton. I've represented clients, even though I'm based in Edmonton, I represent clients in Grand Prairie, uh, Edson, Fort McMurray, Manitoba, all over the place. Yeah. Um, well, I, my question is: Is there? Do you see any advantage to using a city lawyer, quote unquote, over a rural lawyer, or vice versa? Or is there like some pros and cons?
2: Yeah. So there's definitely pros and cons. Uh, one of the big advantages of of having somebody in your community is that they'll understand um, they'll understand the details and the background of what's going on. So you know, if the child say one of the children's having a problem at school, the lawyer in that community would know that school and maybe know ways to get around that problem, or can suggest, you know, this is the person you need to talk to at the school to to get around that. You know, when people say, you know, they're moving to this place, you know, my ex wants to move to this town, you know where it is and you know how far apart it is and and you know if it's gonna be a a problem or not. being in the location, you're also in a much better situation to say, you know, this is the person at community outreach services, this is the social worker you should go talk to, you know, here's their number, go talk to them, they can help you out. Uh, So that's one of the, some of the pros of having a a lawyer that's closer. Uh, One of the pros of having a lawyer that's farther is sometimes people like to have a level of anonymity with their legal problems. That sometimes it's very personal stuff, and uh, they're more comfortable uh, talking to somebody that they're not going to run into in the grocery store. Um, and uh, you know, there are files where things are are pretty ugly and acrimonious. Where uh, you know, I've said, look, you need somebody who's more detached from this situation, who's not going to run into the kids on the street or you and you, or your ex on the street. Uh, so sometimes there is a, a, an advantage to having somebody who doesn't know quite as much or isn't as close to the, to the situation.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really think about that because even when I, when I was practicing in Onway, I was not living in Onaway. Mm. Um it, So I could really, you, you could see that where it might get awkward sometimes where you're just out doing your normal thing and then you're not being a lawyer, you're just being a person. And then you see, you know, the other, somebody on the other side of a file from you who, you uh, doesn't like how things are going or whatever.
2: Yeah, being, being in a small town, you know, as a lawyer, your reputation is everything, but in a small town, it, it definitely more so that uh, if you're a jerk on a file, that person might, you know, you might be dealing with that person, you know, in a week when you need your car repaired or something <laughs> like that. So uh, there's a very strong incentive to, to act with integrity, you know, even if you're in a difficult situation. Uh, Yeah, you want to be fair and be seen as being fair.
3: There's a trend being talked about right now, a a lot, uh, a lot of talk about it around um, Vancouver, where people are able to work over zoom or remotely, and they're leaving the Vancouver Metro uh, to go to smaller towns and are able to take on different jobs because of that. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe more lawyers would consider moving to rural places now that they can work a little bit more remotely. Mm. Uh, maybe you could get yourself an Edson lawyer.
2: Yeah, that would be that would be quite nice if uh, more lawyers moved to small communities and could have a balance between You know, clients in the city that they used to have and take on some rural clients as well to be able to help out people in rural areas uh, more. That would be quite nice to see. I've not seen that trend happen. Um,
1: We're, look, we're slow, we're a slow moving demographic lawyers.
2: Yes. Most of the (laughs) the lawyers in small towns uh, either, you know, are from a small town or maybe from that particular small town or follow a, a spouse to the small town. Uh, you know, there's something about going to the big city for law school that that uh, sucks people into bigger centers. And then it seems to be hard to to leave. You see the same thing with doctors and accountants as well, that, um, you know, there's, there's persistent problems with uh, physician recruitment in rural areas and, uh, I don't know the numbers for accountants, but I'd suspect that there's definitely fewer per capita in the rural areas than there is in the city.
1: The stat I heard when I was in law school, Kim, is 90% of lawyers live in Calgary or Edmonton. Uh, So that's half the population of the province, and then 10% of the lawyers are servicing the other 50%. Mm
2: -hmm. And probably a good chunk of them are Grand Prairie, Red Deer,
0: Fort McMurray. Right. Mm-hmm. Right in those next few bigger centers.
1: Yeah. So then you get place like Jasper, Hinton, Edson, Evansburg, Carstairs, you know, they're just, you no, know, they're driving somewhere else to get a lawyer. Or mm-hmm. yeah, look into some other other location.
3: Mm-hmm. And lawyers are from my understanding, especially family lawyers, are very busy people. Like they don't, like there's a lot of business to go around. So, Chris, you were mentioning that a good portion of your business is in family law. It, I, I, like, have you enjoyed being in the smaller town with, with business that comes to you with now opportunities to branch out to other cities or work with lawyers like Evan or Heather and and all that kind of stuff how how have you found that adjustment because I imagine moving to a small town you're curious about what kind of business that's going to bring in and can you sustain yourself do you do you find it's been really really good for you
2: yeah funding work's never been a problem that there's a quite a steady supply like going back to just how many lawyers there are, that there's not much competition for, for work. Um, sometimes it would be better if there was more competition, frankly, but it'd be, it'd be nice to have more people to deal with on a regular basis. Like, as, between lawyers uh, and, it, it, you know, it would be good for people to have more options in situations where um, the existing lawyers are conflicted out. And, you know, you'll see it frequently with, you know, business people, if, if somebody's an entrepreneur and has started a couple businesses, you know, it's very easy for them to have had dealings with every lawyer in town through the business. And then all of a sudden, you know, nobody can can know. be on the other side of a file for them, whether it's a dispute or even if it's, you know, an agreement of putting a contract together, there's just, there might not be a lawyer who uh, can negotiate against them because they've, they've got a pre-existing relationship.
3: Mm. And do you Mm. get to dress a different way working in a rural place? I know in my line of work, we're always getting talked to about, if we're visiting a farmer, we should dress down and not wear our suits. And Mm. I'm curious about what the culture is as a professional in a small town.
2: Mm. Uh, You'll notice I don't have a tie on and Evan does.
1: You know, that's kind of more by choice for me though than anything because really I think even lawyers in town don't uh, they generally just wear business casual, I think, mm-hmm. unless they're going to court. Um I like wearing a suit. So yeah. I that's a personal choice, but when I was in Onaway, no, I was I don't think they never they the lawyers I was working with there, it's not that they would tell me like you can't wear a suit, but they're like it's business casual. Because <laughs> you would for sure, you would get People coming in and they liked, if if you're dressed as a suit, it can be um, intimidating and illustrate a distance between like, as if you're putting yourself above them, whether or not, you know, you're doing that, but that's the impression that I, that uh, could come across and and some people would even say, I like how you guys are dressed, Mm. That you're not wearing Mm. suits and are all uppity. Yeah. Uh, have you experienced that,
2: Chris? Yeah, generally it's much more casual. Um, when I, you know, when I am appearing in court, whether it's virtually or personally, you know, in, in person, uh, you know, if you go for coffee after, people make comments of, oh, it's court day today, I see you're wearing a suit. Uh, so it's, it's not expected that you're wearing a, a suit all the time, That it's generally expected that things are much more, much more casual.
0: Um, are there certain types of things that you couldn't do as a small, in a small center, as a small firm? Like, are there any things that you just have to pass along or, or that need to get bumped? Yeah,
2: most definitely. Uh, from time to time, things will come up uh, where it does need somebody who specializes. So, you know, let's use bankruptcy as an example. Um, you know there's lawyers that just do bankruptcy and when there's an ugly bankruptcy issue people should get a specialist in that area you know tax law is another area when there's an ugly tax law question uh, you really do need a lawyer who specializes Mm -hmm. in that area so what it you know I find happens is I've got you know lists of lawyers that I'll refer people to if they've got specific issues um, that are outside of my comfort zone in terms of of handling and uh you refer people people on um you know every once in a while something will come along where just time wise it's not feasible uh for me to take it on and so you just refer it to somebody else sometimes that's somebody else local sometimes it's you know you should go to a firm in the city that has a team to to be able to devote to this
0: Mm which are kind of the same considerations anywhere, I, I, I guess, right? Um, yeah, Sometimes
2: I it's doing family law in the city, I'm sure it would be the same, that stuff would come up that I wouldn't be comfortable touching and I would yeah. be passing along to other people as well.
0: Yeah, I think everyone passes along tax questions, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, Evan's nodding his, his head, yes. Um. Uh, This is probably, I don't even know if this is a fair question to ask you because you might not know the answer, but if you've got folks who are pretty far from being able to access legal advice, like what are folks doing? Are they just kind of living with their... problems then i mean you might not know what you don't know and about people that don't come to you but Mm -hmm. i'm thinking like what about folks who don't even have um, reliable access maybe to internet um or are yeah just can't get in they don't have the funds to get in to see you they don't even know i can access a lawyer by video conference now
2: yeah that's definitely an issue and it definitely exists I, i can't really say what it's like in rural areas versus the city, because that's uh-huh. not practiced in the city. Because uh-huh. I'm sure you see the same thing in the city where people, uh, you know, might not have the money to, to hire a lawyer. And so they, their problem just sort of festers on or, yeah. uh, their life is so crazy with, with kids that they don't have time to deal with it properly. And so it just festers on. Yeah. Um, so a, you do see it from, from time to time. Um,
1: I think fester is a great description of what happens because I've definitely had. If you think about festering, I think of like an you know an infection, maybe a boil, and I've definitely had clients come in where that boil is ready to be lanced, and it mm-hmm. should have been if it had been taken care of like five, six, seven years ago, it would have been something much more manageable. Whereas now it's like well, to get what you're wanting is like uh, asking for a miracle. Um, do you see? it? Would you like? Do you see that often? I think. I guess that's kind of what Heather is asking: is does that happen more often in rural? I mean, is the is a rural internet provider out there? ExploreNet. No,
2: no nothing no, bad uh, things about ExploreNet. Yeah, we're we're not on that. Uh, uh, like, internet usually isn't an issue in most rural areas. If you're in town, uh, yeah. outside of town, it can definitely be an issue. Um. There definitely are issues of people who can't get into town, but I don't know if that would be much different than people who are marginalized in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, might not have a car and or money to to get to places. Yeah, um, rural libraries have excellent internet connections. Uh, but They're part of the Alberta Supernet, so that's always uh, available. Uh, there's generally um, FCSS or some version of it, it's Community Outreach Services in Jasper, where um, they can help people, connect people to the services that they need, um, whether that's, that's um, just getting on the internet to access forms or, or search things, or, uh, you know, I've, I've had social workers, um, you know, help people come to my office, uh, set up the appointments for for people, uh, help them put together the information that they need to, to bring into my office. So uh, the services the services are, are available. Uh, sometimes they're a little bit more difficult to find and it's not always obvious uh, sort of who the knowledge keeper is, you know, in some mm. communities it might be uh, a librarian, that's the perfect person to go to who can plug yeah. you into to all the services in town. In another town, it might be a social worker. Uh, it, it's, it's usually a lot more of that information and, and finding that stuff as word of mouth, uh, rather than looking it up in a, a directory. Uh, one opportunity that, you know, you do frequently see in, in rural areas is the ability to ask and advocate for services that I don't think you would get in the city. So for example, you know, if, if you need to take a parenting course, frequently you can talk to uh, Community Outreach Services or FCSS and say, I'd really like to take this parenting course. And they're usually very happy to hear this is what people want and we will bend over backwards to, to make it happen, especially if you can find a couple other people who are looking for the same services. Uh, you know, you can talk to your town councillor and say, uh, you know, having this service would be very helpful for me and for, you know, my friends, A, B, and C, and you, you might get a lot more responsiveness than you might in the city if you approached your, or tried to approach your, your city councillor about those sorts of issues.
0: Right, right. So it sounds like um, maybe your tip is some persistence if you're finding yourself um, in need of some legal services but aren't sure where to start. (laughs) Poke around and find out who the keeper of that knowledge is. Librarians, social workers,
2: yeah, in a small town, you know, if you talk to three people, you can usually figure out that sort of information, you know, yeah. get their, the lowdown on the reputations of the lawyers in town and, mm-hmm. you know, who they found helpful in terms, other people found helpful in terms of social workers uh, or, or other services in town. So uh, the information usually isn't far away, but you've just got to ask for it Mm -hmm. uh, because frequently it is there might not be as good of a directory as there there might be for the town or the city of Edmonton or or a larger city
0: how about courthouses themselves are they maybe a good starting point for somebody who's looking for somewhere to start if they've got a legal problem that they're looking for some help for uh they
2: they were unfortunately there's been cutbacks so over the last year or so um, um that the courthouse used to have uh, court liaison workers who would help people fill out uh, basic family forms and other basic court forms that uh, are unfortunately getting phased out and uh, hopefully that will hopefully they won't get phased out entirely uh. um, But that is quite unfortunate Uh, native counseling services is available in in most rural areas in the province, and uh, they can help out with filling out court forms, giving information about basic process, and sometimes do some of the basic talking for for somebody in court. Uh, They're not lawyers, so they can't give legal advice, but they can get people a good ways of the way duty counsel is available for for uh, criminal issues. Uh, We don't have family duty counsel out here. So, uh, but there is always duty counsel on on criminal days to deal with criminal issues and so for people who don't know duty counsel's uh, job is uh, to talk to people who don't have lawyers in the courthouse, explain to them what the process is and how it works. And can do some basic talking for them to the judge. So if the matter is just getting adjourned, they can do the talking for for the person uh, rather than them having to stumble through it in front of the judge them, themselves.
0: Okay, yeah, that's 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 good to know. <laughs>
3: I'm, worried the, I'm worried for the people who don't have legal aid. Do they reach out to Do they just call up Edmonton? Is that for? for-
2: to access Legal Aid? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah, Legal Aid, it's the 1-800 number on their Legal Aid website that people have to call to, to access them. When I first started practicing, Legal Aid would have um, somebody who would come out to rural court locations on court days and you could apply directly to them. That ended a long time ago, um. Um, which, is, which is unfortunate. It'd be nice to see, um that service to be put back into place through a a video you know there's no reason why the courthouse couldn't have a a video with a legal aid officer on one end of it and people can take turns going into the room and talking to them applying for legal aid and we're getting information about it but uh, Uh we're we're not there yet
0: Uh Has there ever been family law duty counsel? Is that something that's kind of gone away as well, or has that never been the been available?
2: I, I can't think of any time I've seen family law duty counsel. Mm. Uh, Native counseling, definitely yes, but
0: okay.
2: um, I can't think of any legal aid um, duty counsel for family matters in, in rural them.
0: areas. Um, do you or other lawyers in the area offer sort of limited scope services or coaching um, or other options to help folks keep legal costs down, but to support them through the legal process?
2: Yep, uh, I definitely do that, that sometimes people just hire me for, you know, an information session for me to give them basic information and then they'll take it from there. Uh, sometimes people who will be representing themselves have hired me to to review court documents for them and give them feedback about what needs to be improved or or changed Uh Uh, so I'm definitely open to doing that you'll have different comfort levels with different lawyers and I'm sure it's the same in the the city that some lawyers won't touch something unless they're 100% in control of it and uh see through it to, to the end. Some right. are, are much more willing to just deal with things on a, a piecemeal basis. So, uh, you know, from my point of view, I've got no issue doing it. I'm just very straightforward is this is all you're hiring me to do. Uh, if you're help, you know, if you're just hiring me to do the, the court documents and help you put together the court documents and make sure the information's in there. I can't guarantee the judge reads those court documents and, you know, all the information gets presented effectively in court. Right. So, uh, I do do it and it is sometimes a good way of, of keeping legal costs down, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: depends on the situation and depends on the lawyer. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's another good option though. Um, Okay.
2: Are you
1: uh, are you a member on albertalegal.org, Chris? No, I'm not. Well, that's uh, Heather is on the board of uh, that organization, and uh, specifically for lawyers that offer limited scope retainers. Ah. So um, yeah, you should sign up. There's a little plug in, and that way, people when they go to that website, especially if they're in the Jasper area, they'll be uh, they'll find you as someone that that provides that service. If they didn't already find you by walking down the street i don't know
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's good to know you know it's sometimes surprising um if people live their lives without any legal problems you know maybe they never talk to a lawyer and and you know it's a whole different world that um people come into my office who i've never met before and who've never had to talk to a lawyer about anything before and uh and uh it's interesting to see all the different paths that people follow to get into lawyer's offices. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Oh, go ahead, Kim.
3: Well, I'm trying to see if there's like a sneaky play for people to get themselves into uh, virtual uh, rural lawyer offices for a cheaper option. Our lawyers in rural communities is their cost per hour lower? Therefore, people looking for a cost-effective option can they go rural? Uh, they'll get a great lawyer like you, Chris. And I, like I don't know what your your costs are, but is that a is that a thing? Huh.
2: Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get a much cheaper rate at um, certainly accessing a lawyer in a in a like in a smaller firm setting is gonna be cheaper, but I'd say the cost divide is more small firm versus big firm rather than urban Mm. versus rural. That um, from what I've seen, the bills from family lawyers in say Edmonton practicing in smaller firm settings are similar to what I would charge uh, where you'll really see the differences at big firms, you'll see frequently much higher rates not not always but uh that seems to be where the bigger divide is i
1: i think kim you might be on to something I, um <laughs> I, i'm glad chris that you uh don't give the small town discount because i think it's important for rural lawyers to be able to make a good living but i know i know for sure that there's there are lawyers out there who are in the rural setting who feel the conflict and uh, um feel the burden of providing that access to justice and are very conscious about the way that they price their services um, to help the people that are in their local community. And, and often people that are in the local community um, are making, you know, or don't have very high paying jobs, they're working at the local supermarket, etc. Et you know, I think uh, I think there might be something there, Kim, but we- I certainly don't know of any. Uh, I don't have any data that backs that up. It's just kind of my gut based on my experience out in Onaway.
2: Yeah, I, I would certainly say there are times where I don't charge for services or charge less. You know, than I. I- the market rate or what I would normally charge based on very specific circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly wouldn't do that for somebody trying to hire me out of Edmonton to get a cheap deal. <laughs> that that definitely would not, would not fly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah.
1: And, and to be fair, I think Chris, that's, I, I think, uh, we all do that because we want to help our clients. And so there's, there's some times where in order to help them, you, you know, like, well, you know their financial situation, you know what they can afford. And so sometimes you just want to help them out. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, now I had a question about, you said uh, at the beginning, your practice is about 60% family, 30% civil litigation, and then 10% real estate, wills and estates, uh, which by the way, is quite a lot of, You don't find many lawyers in the city that do family and wills and estate administration and real estate and civil litigation. Would you, have you found, well, what benefits have you found to your practice from having that kind of broad scope and, and exposure to a bunch of different areas of law?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's very helpful knowing how the different pieces work together. So uh, understanding how the will works and and the state administration works uh, help a lot in the family law context. Mm -hmm. Uh, You asked me about criminal law earlier, and so I mentioned that I did a little bit at the beginning of my of my career. And the way things work out here is I end up sitting through criminal court from from time to time when I've got to deal with a family matter urgently. And so I get to sort of keep myself refreshed on on how that works. And that's Mm -hmm. one where uh, keeping it fresh in my mind how the criminal law works is is an incredible benefit when it comes to family law cases that have a criminal uh, aspect to it that unfortunately um, Domestic violence is, is all too common with separations. Mm-hmm. And so understanding what is going to happen with, you know, an assault charge that's happening at the same time that there's a parenting dispute going on and how those two can interact and, and what effect they'll have on each other can be very, very helpful. Uh, it's also nice being able to help people with, you uh, everything at once so you know they separate the house is getting transferred or sold being able to help that help them with with all the aspects they're not having to go to three different lawyers to to get things sorted out or you know I I work with lawyers who generally do different areas of law than me so being able to refer them to somebody in the firm who can then do the work and if there's any questions I can work with them to make sure that uh, we're not working at cross purposes, or or, or
3: uh,
2: operating in ignorance of what's going on with with the family matter. Mm-hmm.
3: It almost seems like you should charge more per hour for a convenience uh, yeah. factor.
2: Thank you, Kim.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, very valuable. Get your will done. Whoa. Get your title changed. Get your divorce all with one guy. There should be a surcharge on that kind of service.
1: Yeah, a fuel surcharge that so that they would have to pay on the fuel to drive into the next town to get the other lawyer. Mm.
3: So, what about independent legal advice? I know this is a thing. I'm not an expert in the law in any way, shape, or form. People are trying to get divorced the cheapest way possible. They want to. To, they talk to Chris. Chris needs to get independent legal advice. You, you have a, a pal that you call up in in Hinton. Is that kind of how that works, or is that how lawyers do it? Rurally, they kind of have a buddy somewhere and just.
2: Yeah. So if you know, if the other side, you know, I'm representing, you know, the husband or the wife, and the other side needs independent legal advice, I usually try and give people a list because uh, I I don't want to be seen as. Saying go talk to my buddy and they'll give you independent advice. Uh, it <laughs> doesn't seem so independent. Yes, yeah. we've
1: already talked about it. We're fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So uh, usually what I try and do is say you know here's three people that you can go you can go see and you know if you want more names I can give you more names uh, to try and keep it as independent as as possible.
1: Yeah, it's a great point, Kim. Independent legal advice is a is a hot kind of issue, especially when people are trying to just they got this agreement, it's all done, you know, they just want to get it signed off. We've talked about that before on here and, and uh, some of the frustrations that we have faced with providing independent legal advice. But
2: yeah, and it, it can be tough, especially you know, if they've got to get a lawyer from Edmonton for independent legal advice. And, you know, the the that's where Zoom and stuff is nice, but at the same time, um, you don't, you can't read body language as well with with the technology, um, so it, frequently the lawyers are less comfortable providing independent legal advice, if, especially if it's a one-time, I'm just seeing you once by by Zoom. Um, yeah, it, it, it can be tricky. That's
0: right do you have any tips for clients appearing by Zoom meeting with lawyers? <laughs> um,
2: nothing that would be all that different than um, appearing face to face with the lawyer. Mm-hmm. One of the big things I tell clients is, um, or I try and get my assistants to tell clients when they're booking appointments is if there's a document you want to talk about, get the document to me before we talk. Mm
3: -hmm. And that's
2: whether we're doing it in person, uh, because you don't want to pay me to sit there and read a document in in front of you. And same with if you're doing it uh, remotely, it's even more important that that email gets documented, it gets sent over beforehand so that you've got a chance to, to look at it. Uh, that would be the the biggest one. The other is, is uh, make sure you're in a suitable place to have a meeting with your lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the grocery store checkout line is not a, a suitable place to be discussing sensitive information. Just
1: Starbucks or McDonald's because they have free Wi-Fi. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So make sure you're at a suitable location. And that can be difficult. You know, sometimes people... Um you don't have to work nine to five Monday to Friday. And so, you know, they've got to take it during their coffee break or 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 lunch break or something like that. Yeah. So it can be difficult, but trying to find a place where you've got some privacy. Also, it's very good a place where you can take notes because there's frequently things that I'm asking people to do uh, or that is important that they need to remember and, and taking notes is always very helpful. So uh-huh. yeah, get it, get all the information to the lawyer before the meeting and uh, then make sure you've got a quiet place. Uh, another one, this is sort of a, a pet peeve is um, getting, make sure you get the information to the lawyer in a way that's easy to read. So uh, I'm sure you guys have gotten screenshots mm. of, of yes. texts or, uh, you know, pictures of, of legal documents with tightly, densely packed text that is really difficult to, to read. So yeah. take your time in taking those pictures mm-hmm. uh, because you're paying the lawyer to read that stuff. And if the lawyer has to take twice as long to, to read the document because it's the, it's incredibly tiny or difficult to figure out which page is which and is this page three or page four uh, that sort of stuff eats up time that really you're not paying for legal services you're just paying for document management at, at that point
1: yeah that's uh, that brings me to a public service announcement i've been wanting to make for some time which is there are free apps that you can get for iphone or any android mm. phone that will um, act as a scanner. So you take a picture of the document and it flattens it out. It makes it high contrast, black and white, please. If you're going to take a picture with your phone, just use one of those apps because that is, it's so, uh, it can be time consuming and to convert it into like a readable fashion. And, uh, and sometimes the lawyer has to do it because the assistant may not have the skills to, Mm -hmm deal with some complex like fixing of documents um, and then you're paying for that. And also, Chris, another yeah. thing I like that you said was getting the documents beforehand. I, I'm the same. I stress that because not only just because it makes for a very boring meeting to watch me read something, but um, it, my first gut impression may not be the best one. Whereas if I've had some time for it to like, just kick around in my brain for a while, um, you're gonna get better advice about it right. more times than not. Yeah. Do, you, do you find that as well?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely agree that letting letting things rattle around in your brain as a lawyer has a lot of value to it rather than just seeing a document and, and shooting off the hip. Now, I'm gonna go back though, while you're talking about your public service announcement, I'd like to add to that, there are also apps <laughs> That will convert your texts to easy to follow Word documents or PDFs where it's clear who's talking at what time and uh, and it's much easier to follow. Do
1: you have a name of that app? Because I would gladly (laughs) pass it along to clients.
2: I've found it's. Uh, depends what kind of phone you have uh, mm. so I, I haven't found that there's one that that works for everybody that depending what kind of phone people have some people find you know and especially uh, Apple versus Android there's right. there's different ones that are better but when they when they do send me you know a, a, looks like a transcript that you can read through it's so much better than 20 different screenshots that Overlap and then sometimes miss things and it, yeah,
1: and you're like, I think
2: this is where this fits in.
1: Mm-hmm. I hope.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a oh. file once. I think there was fourteen hundred pages of text messages that I had, and it was it was not pleasant.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, and text text messages are, you know. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had people come in saying look at this text message can't you see that at you know my ex is doing this or saying this and you look at it and you say I don't know what this you know I can't figure this out right and you know you, you want a judge who's maybe not familiar with text messaging to be able to yeah. interpret all these acronyms and and misspellings
0: so yeah 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 they're just difficult to read which is I mean, I'm guilty of it too, I'm sure, but it's a casual form of communication. We're not used to <laughs> writing in full sentences or fixing typos in them, but but mm-hmm. that means it's just going to be that much more difficult um, if you're trying to ask your lawyer to wade through that and synthesize it into something that's usable or...
1: 1,400 pages, Heather? I'm assuming this was, a, this was not a collaborative law?
0: Oh, uh, no, yeah, it's a... Yeah, that was a bad
1: one. So Chris, do you do, how do you do initial consultations? Do you do free initial consultations? Do you charge a fee? What does that look like for you out in Jasper?
2: Uh, So I do charge a fee, but it, then I'll, I'll sort of gauge as the initial consultation comes, you know, works its way out. Uh, You know, sometimes initial consultations end up being five minutes long that, sometimes it's a very simple solution and you just say look you just need to go to the maintenance enforcement's website and and print the the package to to um register with maintenance enforcement and that's all there is to it and so at that point I usually won't you know charge anything uh the starting point though is is I do charge for for initial consultations and and then if it's something where I don't think I should Charge, or I want to give a discount based on the situation. I will.
1: And how long do they tend to be? Half hour, an hour? Uh, yeah, just-
2: once once again, uh, it it varies tremendously, and because I do you know a variety of of types of files. Uh, you know, some of them people are in and out in half an hour, and I've got all the information I need. Sometimes, you know, an hour and a half later, I've got to say, "Look, we have to stop this because I've got more," and you know, another interview after this, so we've we've got to stop and we've got to set up another appointment to to keep going. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on on uh, the type of matter. Usually, I try and keep things to an hour, and then if that doesn't get through all the information, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll send you an email with a list of questions for you to to answer. And then if we need to have another appointment after that to, to go through those answers or for you to ask me more questions, we can certainly do that.
1: So you're, I think, our first civil litigator that we've had on the podcast. What are your top few questions that you get asked on civil litigation matters?
2: Oh, um. Do I have a case <laughs> is, is probably usually the, the first one. Uh, how much it'll cost. Um, those are the two big ones is you know, do I have a case and how much uh, it'll cost? Uh, usually a big part of an in initial consultation for, for civil litigation is the cost benefit analysis of is it worthwhile pursuing this? Uh, especially when you're looking at small claims court um, that, you know, frequently I'll look at it and I'll say, you've got a strong case, but you're going to pay me more money than you're going to get out of it. And it's not worthwhile to hire me for for that reason. So uh, frequently the cost benefit analysis is the, the most important part. If it's a more complicated case, then You know, sometimes it's, you're going to need to provide me with a list of documents so I can look through and then give you some advice on how strong your case is and whether it's worthwhile. But with civil litigation, a big part of the the first phase of, you know, opening a file and deciding whether to move forward is how much might it cost and what are you likely to see out of this at the end of the day? Uh, so it's different than, than family law in that way, you know, for family law, generally, you've got to deal with the problem, or you've got the issue of it just festering and getting worse over over time with civil litigation. Frequently, you know, it is, do I want to pursue this debt or, or not? Uh, do I want to go after this person because their dog bit me or, or not? Or should I just move on with my life? And and call it quits and, and lay it to rest mm. Mm.
3: I've, got, I've got a dumb question about you know the dog you just brought up the dog and I'm thinking thinking about my biases from watching movies
1: your dog just bit you <laughs> no that's not what...
3: no so I watch movies so my impression of rural lawyers comes from places like I don't know Aaron Brockovich for example you get the you know the the dusty office with the old guy, he's been doing the exact same thing for 30 years, the exact same law, nothing interesting. And I think that I have a bias and probably other people do that lawyers maybe in smaller towns or rural areas don't see different types of files, don't have the volume to give them experience. And I was hoping you could comment on the experience part of rural lawyers. Do they have less experience? I'm thinking you have more experience in many ways because of all your, you know, the, the broad base of your knowledge in, with different legal matters. But can you comment on that?
2: Yeah, there definitely are those dusty old lawyers. They do exist. <laughs> um, but you, um, you know, in rural areas, you tend to get more of um uh, this has, been my fam- this has been my family's lawyer for a period of time or this is the person that we go to see about all our problems, even if they might refer you on to, to somebody else. So you do end up getting to, to see a wider variety of stuff than a lawyer in Edmonton would. You know, if you're at a family law firm, the assistant is gonna triage uh, the calls to a certain extent and, and refer people away who don't have a family law problem. Um, If you're in a civil litigation firm, you'll get sort of the the same thing. If you're in a larger firm, it'll get triaged into different departments. uh, So you won't necessarily get to see stuff that doesn't fit squarely within your your area of practice. So you do get to see a wide variety of of legal issues. Um, In terms of the experience, it really just depends on the uh, ambition of the lawyer and how much the lawyer has taken on. Um, when I was uh, starting out, I would say I took on a wider variety of, of work, um, partly out of interest. and I'm as I practice longer and longer, I'm more likely to refer stuff out. Um, part of it is is time that I have less ability to to learn a whole new area of law at the
1: Mm
3: -hmm. this
2: phase although Mm -hmm. I might in the the right circumstances um whereas when you're starting out you're learning you know you're having to learn everything on every file and so taking on a whole new area of law is is much less intimidating um but you know if you sit through um you know, chambers in, in rural areas, you'll see a wide variety of stuff and you'll see the rural lawyers representing people in a, a pretty wide variety of, of circumstances. So it, it really depends on the personal lawyers comfort level and, and what they've chosen to do and whether they've chosen to limit their practice or, or not.
1: Yeah, Chris, your office looks very clean and you look pretty young so obviously uh you're breaking that stereotype immediately um yeah i that that's funny kim that uh that stereotype exists because what we're hearing from chris is kind of the opposite right like that the small town lawyer actually does a whole lot of things that the big city lawyer gets kind of uh narrowed and more and more, the more they practice.
3: Uh-huh. So yeah.
1: there you go. I'm busting stereotypes on access to justice.
2: Yeah. I would say the uh, majority of lawyers in the area are under 40. Oh, wow. There.
0: Yeah.
2: That uh, yeah this older sort of older crusty is is definitely not reflective of of what I see there's a pretty wide variety of of ages and experiences and um, interests
1: yeah to be fair you get the old dusty lawyer in Edmonton and Calgary as well they're (laughs) they're just it's just probably you know they're sprinkled about in their regions and they they exist as a as a type of being, but, uh, Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah, I've, I've inherited at least one corporate client from, uh, one of the old dusties, uh, (laughs) which I could tell immediately upon receiving the file. I was like, Ooh, but I'm sure he was good friends with that client. Well, um, Chris, you had a a list. Is there anything on your list that we haven't covered that you wanted to get off your chest?
3: Yeah, no, I think we've gone through, uh, everything
2: I I, I thought to talk about. Um, so there's nothing else from my perspective. I've enjoyed my time on the podcast and, uh, Thank you very much for, for having
0: me.
1: Yeah, so I, I think I speak for all of us when I say it's been our pleasure. Um,
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Heather, do you have anything else you wanted to drill, Chris? And can try to think of it, you know, I know that you guys have been hiking, you know, think of it from the perspective of, you know things about Chris that we don't, that may be interesting that, to share with the world that you're just porting <laughs> to yourself because you already know the answer.
0: <laughs> I'll never tell. I'll never tell. <laughs> you, We've been friends long enough and I want to keep it that way. Not just kidding. Chris is one of the most lovely, kind, calm, and probably competent people that I know. So <laughs> I I couldn't even make up anything, anything bad about him.
1: <laughs> Kim?
3: Well, I I know that if I'm ever in Jasper and I need a buddy to ski with, I know uh, it's just a phone call away and Chris can, uh, Chris can light, light it up with me. So that's uh, a double benefit of this podcast today, but I do appreciate the, uh, the interesting, um, sort of, uh, dive into the rural communities because, uh, this isn't a topic that we've touched on at all. So thank you so much. Well,
1: let's back up for a second there, because I don't think we talked really much about that on the podcast, Kim, that, uh, Kim's other nickname is mad dog. (laughs) That's from her ski racing days where she was a little, uh, very light, but very fast, which is a rare combination of skier. Uh, lightning bolt down the slopes in her younger days and Chris also uh, did racing as well is that right Chris?
2: Uh, a little bit and I, I coach currently uh, well it's summertime now so but I, <laughs> yeah, I coach on the ski team as well on on weekends so uh, one of the nice things about being in a, a rural community that you've got access to that kind of stuff.
1: Nice. So there you go. If you're looking for ski lessons in uh, Jasper as well, Chris is your man. If you're looking to uh, get beat down the slopes, Mad Dogs, your your woman.
0: <laughs> uh, I might be coming to look for some office space in Jasper sometime soon. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I think um, the best summary is is if they, if you need help, there's help out there. You might have to dig a little harder and look a little further afield, ask questions of everybody that you know from the grocery store to the library, but there is help out there no matter where you're located in Alberta. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on the podcast, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This- this has been another episode of Access to Justice. Thanks for listening or watching however you've found us today. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on a future episode of the podcast, please send an email to access to justice at podcast at gmail.com and we'll do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.